Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert to buy now. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. A production of iHeartRadio. Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel. They call me Ben. We're joined, as always, with our super producer, Paul Mission Control Deccant. Most importantly, you are you, you are here. That makes this the stuff they don't want you to know. This evening is the top of the week. That means it's time for some news. But not, perhaps, the news you would see on your typical Reddit feed. We are instead exploring what we like to call strange news. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about cryptids. I have, a, I, have a, mm, I have a big soapbox on this one because I think maybe cryptids, <laughs> maybe we're not finding cryptids because we're giving them insulting names, calling someone Bigfoot <laughs> and wondering why they don't want to hang out with you is kind of rude. You know, what makes the Loch Ness Monster a monster? That's unfair. Bigfoot's feet are objectively big. Um, or are they? Maybe it's a misnomer entirely. Who are we to judge? The next thing we're going to look at as well, we're going to solve the mystery of Flattery Associates, which we mentioned on a previous Strange News segment. Uh, before we do any of that, we're going to dive into a bit of neuroscience. We are going to uh, witness with you how much human civilization still has to learn about the human brain. And uh, it's safe to say there's a heck of a recent plot twist. Maybe we start there. Maybe we travel uh, down south, past the equator, uh, go visit some of our friends and fellow conspiracy realists in Australia. Yeah, we're heading down under again, everybody. Get hyped. 
We're heading to the southeastern coast of Australia to the state of New South Wales. Guys, that's the home of Sydney and Canberra, or Canberra if you live in the area. Look, if you were going to take a test right now and somebody said, hey, what's the capital of Australia? You know what I'd say? Sydney. What would you guys say? Queensland? Is that a place in Australia? It is a place. Melbourne is another really good guess. Uh, but Canberra is the capital of Australia. I didn't know that. It's kind of like the Washington, D.C. of Australia. It's news to me. Just wanted to share that because I was excited about learning it. Okay, so that's where we're heading. We're going to tell you a little story about a woman who experienced some stuff. In January 2021... This 64-year-old woman who lives in this area was suffering through three weeks of abdominal pain, diarrhea, a constant dry cough, fever, and night sweats. This is early 2021, guys. So uh, with those stinky symptoms, what might you think is going on? (laughs) COVID. Right? Seems like a virus. Seems like something maybe even she ate, right? But then her symptoms started to evolve to become more neurological. She started experiencing, quote, forgetfulness and depression. Some might think, oh, that's associated with feeling so crappy all the time. Like, this is awful. You might feel some of this stuff. But the forgetfulness is a little weird. So she gets admitted to the hospital. She receives a brain scan, an MRI, and it reveals, quote, an atypical lesion within the right frontal lobe of her brain. So that's not good. Well, what do you think about when you hear a strange lesion on your brain? One would automatically think cancer. Cancer, right? That's where my head goes. Um, and I'm. we can only assume that that's where this patient's head went. It's really scary stuff. Especially if she checked WebMD, where everything <laughs> is cancer. Right? Yikes. But anytime a doctor scans your brain and says, hey, there's something abnormal, mm. that's just kind of what we've been trained to think. It's the most likely cause. Unless it's some kind of traumatic brain injury, right? Where uh, you get a scan and it shows, what is that called? CTE? Chronic traumatic encephalopathy or something Mm, like that. Right, right. But an MRI would also give enough information to a doctor to differentiate between the two. Right. And in this case, nobody knew. And this is the scariest part. This, This patient lived with that stuff for over a year and a half before... She finally, in June 2022, underwent a brain biopsy at Canberra Hospital to investigate this thing that's going on in her brain. And the neurosurgeon who performed this procedure, Dr. Hari Priya Bandi, B-A-N-D-I, Bandi, she spoke with this outfit called DW News on Tuesday, August 29th. That's yesterday as we record this. And... We're, I'm, this is a pretty long quote from her. It's directly from that DW News interview. You can watch it right now. But this is what that biopsy discovered. Quote, and this is a great way to set this up. She says, neurosurgery is exceptionally planned. We very rarely find something we're not expecting to find. During this case, we did an open biopsy of the skull. We opened up the normal tissues, I mean, that's including the skull itself, then the normal tissues that we normally do. We found an abnormal brain. It looked a little bit discolored. The doctor had taken a few samples, just a few millimeters off of the top there, and they didn't look abnormal. So they're there. They've got this woman's skull open looking at her brain. It looks discolored, but it's not, you know, there's nothing 
else crazy going on. So this doctor then decides they're going to actually dissect a part of the brain that is looking abnormal that, you know, might need to be removed if it's in fact a tumor, right? So she begins the process of dissecting very carefully this part of the brain because they noticed, she noticed, that it was behaving very much like a tumor, whatever it was. So then she goes in with forceps, you guys, specific tumor-holding forceps, and she started to lift something out from this patient's brain. And she says it was, quote, something that definitely was not what I was expecting. It was a linear squiggling line. My junior doctor said, is that an artery? Because that's what it looked like. And I said, it's not an artery. We're nowhere near any arteries. And then I noticed it was moving. And I immediately went, just please get it out of my forceps. We rapidly put it into a pathology pot, just a Mm -hmm. small little container there. Mm -hmm. And it was, in fact, a vigorously wiggling worm. Mm -hmm. Mm. Just going to let that sit for a second. They pulled a worm out of this patient's brain. We're not talking like squiggling around the top of the skull kind of area around. It was inside the folds of the brain. Now, how, how yeah, is the patient? According to the guardian, the patient is recovering well and is still being regularly monitored. Uh, but all seems to be okay. Uh, we're going to get into that because it seems like at least doctors, when they started figuring out what this thing was, why it was there, how it got there, the belief is that there was some kind of prior uh, immunocompromising that occurred in this patient that allowed this specific infection to occur. But let's talk about what that infection is. How the heck do you get a worm in your brain? Uh, well, specifically a nematode. This is a nematode, Round not worm. a worm. Round kind of a worm. Yeah, it's a round worm, right? Exactly. A specific type of worm. It was three inches in length. It was oh. bright red. Three inches, by the way, is about eight centimeters. And the doctors, you know, the neurosurgeon pulls a worm out of a brain. You go, I deal with brains, not worms. What the heck is this thing? <laughs> so they start literally opening textbooks, trying to figure out what the heck this species is, why it's there, how it got there. They're stumped. They call a specialist who deals in parasitic creatures and they almost immediately go, oh, wow, I know exactly what that is. I I just love it. I love it. It's like, damn it, Jim. I'm a (laughs) neurosurgeon, not a helminthologist, which is the word for a study of worms. There you go. There you go. Nematodes can typically be microscopic. As well, right? Yeah, and even nematodes come in all shapes and sizes. Uh, There's a really great website you can go to for Australian species called... Oh, it's got a terrible title here. Um, It's the Atlas of Living Australia. So maybe search that and you can find it. And it actually gives you like the kingdom phylum class goes all the way down to the species. It's really great. Um, Nematoda is a phylum, so... Mm-hmm. Just below animal kingdom when it comes to classification. Oh, and let me correct myself here. Sorry, I don't want to mislead anybody. Uh, I am incorrect partially. I believe helminthology in specific is the study of parasitic worms. So Ooh. hashtag not all worms. Even more specific and even better for this story, Ben. Perfect. Uh, so so this thing is called an Ophita scaris 
Robertsy. That's how I'm going to say it. Or it could be Robertsy. I think it's spelled Robertsy. You got to do the thing with your hands. You <laughs> I'm know? sorry. That's up to Rob, who is either a, a genius helminthologist or a kind of dirty person. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But this thing. This Robertsy, it's a roundworm usually found in snakes, specifically pythons that are, you know, in various parts of the world. But this these specifically in this part of Australia, around the lakes, like the fresh waters in this area. And this Canberra hospital patient, according to everyone that's reporting, especially the people who discovered it, uh, this is the first, like the world's first case of this type of parasite being found not only in a human, but in a human brain. Hmm. Yeehaw, everybody. Do we have theories? Yes, there are theories. Okay. Okay, so kind of similarly to our previous uh, little story out of Australia with fungi, this deals with somebody who is going out and finding food, growing just naturally where it grows. Foraging. Foraging, stuff called warrigal gra- greens, warrigal greens. It's also called grass. Um, it's kind of like spinach. It's what it's been compared to in the news a lot. But it grows around specific lakes in this region of Australia. And this patient would go out, forage some of that stuff, clean it properly, you know, probably boil it in preparation for cooking and eat it. The thought or the hypothesis, at least, is that some python you know, one of the pythons that hang out in this grass as well, they shed one of these parasites because they get infected with these parasites. And the patient somehow interacted with grass that had this stuff shed on it, and it got into her system in one way or the other, right? Probably not through the cooking or preparation or anything, but prior to that, like when you're rummaging around in the grass trying to actually collect some of it, or potentially it transferred some kind of egg, right? to like a kitchen utensil and just went in her mouth. Uh, Again, it's Cronenberg body horror stuff right here. Well, yeah. Well, and it would explain why she had such abdominal pains and problems, right? Prior to her having brain issues and, you know, feeling forgetful and feeling depressed and something's wrong. It started probably in her system somewhere else. The big question is how in the heck did it get into her brain? Like, yeah, what's the pathway from the abdominal tract to the brain? There really isn't one, I don't think. Well, that's the old, look, this is where I don't understand and I haven't seen it written about, but questions about the blood-brain barrier and mm. what, like, what could actually pass through that, right? Could an egg, like, could one of these eggs somehow through the process of the reproduction of this thing, could it get through there and then live? Who knows? The Guardian has been snubbed BBC News, ABC, Australian Broadcasting Company, and nobody is like given a good explanation of how the heck it actually happened, right? Everybody's got a hypothesis because it's the only case and we don't have all the information. It should be noted that this patient is being treated or had to be treated on a continual basis after this for other eggs that potentially infected her body from the same species, right? So stuff that could be in the liver as well or just sticking around in other parts of her body. But it's weird because this is the first human patient that's ever been treated with the stuff that you would need to kill off this parasite. Usually that's more of a veterinary thing for, again, pythons and snakes. So 
Oh, yeah. I, koalas have been infected with this thing. There are several other... Do you guys remember a show called The Koala Show? It was a show on, like, Nick Jr. Uh, about, like, a, a, a young girl and her imaginary friends who were koalas from a magical koala land. That's what I think of when I think of koalas, so... Nice. I, I, focus I like them. I still like them. Uh, <laughs> but, but okay, I got to leave you with two things, guys. There's a professor named Peter Colligan, I think is how you'd say his name. He's an infectious disease physician. He's not involved in this case whatsoever, but he was interviewed. Uh, I think it was for The Guardian for this. And he makes um, he makes the note that some cases of this type of zoonotic disease may never be diagnosed if they are rare and physicians don't know what the heck they're looking for, because a physician, as we've talked about before, only knows what they've learned, what they've encountered before, what's in a book that they've been taught. If it's not in there and if it's not part of your experience as a physician, you you may like look right over something. Right. Which is kind of what happened to this patient. And <laughs> and Professor Colligan has this last thing, this little quote for our nightmares, quote. Sometimes people die with the cause never being found. Good night, everybody. No, I'm just showing you. <laughs> but uh, there's one last thing to look up. And I think this is the true stuff they don't want you to know. There's an article from ABC News. That's the Australian Broadcasting Corporation from July 31st, 2023, about a roundworm that was discovered in the permafrost of Siberia in 2018. <laughs> it emerged living alive from the permafrost, and it is believed to be 46,000 years old. Mm. So a nematode, not this exact species, but a very similar roundworm that lived that long, that has who knows what other stuff going on with it, and these things, as the ice melts, whatever, you know, different types of things are going to be emerging. <laughs> oh, what happens if it, if that emerging occurs, I don't know, a little further south than Australia? Hmm? Oh, goodness. Right? Down in Antarctica. Oh, Who knows? Geez. So, hey, we've got that to look forward to. Again, sleep tight, everybody. We'll be right back with more strange news. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long for just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. 
So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. We've returned with more strange news. This time, uh, an old favorite. An old favorite, a blast from the past. Uh, one of the original cryptid trading cards, um, old Nessie. Yeah, you guys remember Yay. Nessie? I, I my my memory of Nessie. I think I went to Scotland once when I was very little and don't remember it. My, my mom always used to tell the story about like you know I went to England and Scotland when I was a kid and that I pooped my pants all over the country, and she loved telling that story okay. so that's oh, I, I was a, a small child but uh, my point is that i uh, from that sojourn i ended up with a stuffed animal that was a loch ness monster wearing one of those hats there's a signature scottish is it called a, ta- a tam uh, you know one of those kind of what's the word like kind of uh not paisley. That's not it at all. Like a tartan? I don't know. It's just the hat. It looks kind of like a beret, but it's got the red and black stripes on it and then like kind of a ball in the middle. It was a little Nessie uh, stuffy that uh, had that, and I think you could wind it up and it would play a little song. Um, I no longer have that, but I have the memory, and that's all that really matters. Just like most of us in this uh, conspiracy realist community probably have our own special memories of the Loch Ness Monster and Ben. You set it up beautifully, and you had a really uh, on-point tweet about this. Um, it's a little bit uh, derisive to call this creature a monster right off the rip. It never hurt nobody. We don't know about any ill will that this, you know, it's always been described to me, or at least in the lore, as sort of a gentle giant of the depths, right? I mean, it's nice to think of it that way. That's, that's a lovely sentiment. But we don't know what happens in those depths. That's true. Um, I know this is sort of maybe like a, a thing you could apply to cryptids in general, but like, what are your um, memories and, and relationship with the old Nessie? Let's just go with Nessie, which I think maybe is a response to the monster uh, conundrum, just going by Nessie. Oh, sure. Thanks for asking. Yeah, the, um, the thing with cryptids, that's one of the sort of holy trinity uh, the popular triumvirate of cryptids for kids growing up in the West. You will usually hear about Bigfoot, the Loch Ness Monster, and then you get the one wild card. If you're in West Virginia, it might be the uh, Mothman. If you are in parts of Florida, it might be the Swamp or the Skunk Ape. Uh, it might be La Llorona, your favorite ghost. The thing about both Bigfoot and Nessie is that it seems at first blush a possible or plausible um, occurrence because the real argument is a relic population, right, of some creature that has gone extinct in other parts of the world. And the, the locks, which are basically lakes, no offense, Scotland, the locks are uh, things that formed quite some time ago. So the question is, is there a lock that is large enough and deep enough to function as 
a, a goldfish bowl, for lack of a better word, for some sort of creature that exists nowhere else. And before we, lest we throw <laughs> throw the Nessie out with the bathwater here, or throw the nematode out with the brain, we have to remember that for many, many years, the mammoth only existed on a couple of isolated parts of the globe. So it is theoretically possible for um, something we would consider a cryptid to be alive in the modern day. I have to ask you, Noel, you told us your memories of Scotland. Um, Matt, you got a, like a Nessie story? Have you been to Scotland? I have not. No, no, I I have no idea. I haven't heard about Nessie in a while. So what's what's the scoop? Well, uh, first of all, t- to Ben's point um, about the, th- this is the first thing that popped into my mind, which is, you know, how big is Loch Ness? Um, at its deepest point, it is 230 meters or 126 fathoms or 755 feet, uh, which is apparently deeper than the North Sea. So it is the second deepest loch in Scotland after Loch Morar. Um, and a bunch of uh, Nessie enthusiasts, Nessie hunters, Nessie, Nessie truthers um, have, uh, have been busy over the past weekend when the largest gathering of Loch Ness uh, hunters, Nessie hunters, uh, assembled, you know, um, to, to have an exploration. And obviously, uh, to your point, Matt, there really hasn't been a whole lot of Nessie news in a very long time. The most famous picture of it, I think the only one of note, uh, I believe, came out in like the 30s um, and has largely been debunked and, and, uh, you know, is believed to be a hoax. You know, the one um, classic always associated with any kind of cryptid uh, imagery and documentaries or whatever. It's a black and white photo of a long neck thing sticking up out of the water or a guy doing a shadow puppet. It's 1934. Technology was not. It's true. What it is now. Remember, there was a really great story. Gosh, now I'm forgetting. We talked to a really lovely person once on this podcast who had a show that kind of debunked urban legends. Matt, it may have been someone that you hooked us up with and did a story about these fairies, these photographs of fairies in like the 40s or 50s that these young girls totally faked using analog photography and like little cutouts and stuff. But they had such depth and clarity and, and, and they were just so remarkable that people truly believed them. And it's, it's it was also a, a small village in the United Kingdom. Um, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm totally spacing on the name of the podcast and the village. But to your point, Ben, yeah, it can be done, and and but I don't recall. Maybe y'all do. How this was debunked, or if it was mainly just kind of popular wisdom points to it, probably isn't authentic. But I don't know that there's any like, you know, aha moment of this is who did it and how they did it. The purported Faye photograph, or no, no, the the Nessie photograph. Uh, yeah, the the original one was 1934. Yeah, right. That's that mm-hmm, was yes. like the super popular one, and it was in the 90s, I think almost exactly 60 years later that it was discovered to be a toy boat, right? (laughs) And there's like something applied to a toy boat. Got it. But can you say toy boat five times fast? That's (laughs) the question. Okay. Yeah. Toy boat five times fast. You uh, also, uh, uh, (laughs) this famous photograph comes out shortly after the mainstreaming of prehistoric cryptids with the 1933 debut of King Kong. And so the public is primed to learn Mm. more about things that seem exotic to them. And then just like so many other local regional legends, 
the people in the area realize this is pretty great for tourism. So, hey, not, Ben yeah. nailed it. Uh, uh, Alan just McKenna. Yeah, no, no. I mean, just in general, that's obviously true. And what better reason to, I mean, obviously exploration, discovery, whatever, maybe, you know, hopefully they find a thing. That'd be cool. But what other better reason to assemble such a large gathering of searchers uh, than to make a little bit of news and get Nessie back in the headlines. Um, Alan McKenna, who's the head of something called the Loch Ness Exploration, which is an independent research group that's uh, based in the area, um, planned this event uh, and, and, you know, looked at it as kind of a, a way to rally sort of hobbyist cryptid hunters in the area to come out. And I, I imagine people probably traveled, you know, for it as well. Um, and uh, McKenna is quoted as saying, it's about inspiration. Uh, and for very selfish reasons, I don't want the Loch Ness mystery or interest in Loch Ness itself to diminish in any way whatsoever at all. Guessing those selfish reasons may refer to uh, the 41 million pounds, roughly, that this type of tourism can bring into Scotland's economy. That's according to a 2018 study uh, by Scotland's press and journal newspaper. Um, Noise. There's a, yeah, and there's an article that I'm, I'm looking at right now in NBC News, the world section, uh, about this event. It's also been covered by Insider and, and a host of other outlets. So, mission accomplished. You know, he made some headlines. And uh, the funniest story that I did find, though, um, was apparently, hold on, let me see if I can pull it up. I, I seem to have closed this tab. Uh, oh, here we go. Loch Ness monster hunters say they heard mysterious gloops underwater, but forgot to plug in their recorder. <laughs> no. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I can't remember if I was talking about this on the show or if it was off the show, but there is a really cool thing called a hydrophone, um, yeah. which is a, a microphone that, you know, can record sounds underwater. And um, they're really pricey. Like, they're it's not something that just like a, you know, uh, an enthusiast would probably want to invest in. They're like thousands of dollars for a good one. Um, it's actually something that's used a lot in electronic music communities to make, you know, you could drop a Alka-Seltzer or like a, like a Mentos into a, you know, a thing and it makes crazy sounds. Well, in the office of Naval intelligence, knows that's a right. thing oh, or two yes. about that's this. Right. Yes, yes, also, yes. that's a hundred percent unrelated, but very important. Do you need to worry about cryptids that, more than likely don't exist or do you need to worry about animals that are very real and are incredibly threatened i'm thinking of cetaceans i'm thinking of whales people tell you they don't know much about the life cycle of whales and that is somewhat bullshit to be completely honest the massive um the massive amount of signaling that goes out through the maritime environment of this planet it's screwing over whales. That's that's basically it. Imagine someone continually screaming strange things oh, yeah. into your ear. That's what's happening. Hydrophones are awesome, but hydrophones are picking up stuff that is bad for whales. The conspiracy theory, just to sew it up real quick, is that the um, investigation into the life cycle of these beautiful creatures is somewhat stymied by geopolitical security concerns. No doubt. And also those sounds that you're talking about, Ben, that are interfering with whale communication, it does seem to have finally uh, driven some of them mad, uh, or at the very least, just they're sick and tired of it. And they are revolting, uh, not as in like they're gross, they're revolting against humans. We've, we've obviously covered 
uh, multiple <laughs> whale instances of uh, orcas menacing boats and other animals that are kind of saying enough is enough humans um, get off our collective lawn um, but yeah the quote from Alan McKenna once again uh, about the uh, the missed opportunity um, was was this we did hear something he said we heard four distinctive gloops <laughs> I love the gloops. We all got a bit excited, ran to make sure the recorder was on, and it wasn't plugged in. Oof. Better luck next time. It does remind me of the bloop that we've talked about before on the show. Is that the same as the, what's the other one? The the pang? No, the, there's another sound. Um, The whoosh? The deep sea bloop. What the heck am I thinking of? The deep sea bloop is most likely uh, a very low register shifting of ice plates. Yeah, that's what they say. Right, unless it's Cthulhu (laughs) or the basis of the Cthulhu legends, which were written in the early 1900s by a problematic guy. But the uh, also another famous conspiracy sound that has a funny name that I'm totally spacing on right now, but um, the pang sounded so familiar. It sounded familiar. It'll come to me when I don't care anymore. But um, yeah, I don't know. What do you guys think? Like, is this all just, you know, do you think there's true believers out there? Do you think it's a mix of just folks that wanted to have a little, you know, day on the lock and um, do do some I mean, people are bringing drones out? Apparently the weather was quite bad, uh, but it still did occur. If they're ever going to find it, it's going to be now, <laughs> I guess. Mm-hmm. It is one of those things where it's sort of like if they haven't found it yet, why? And we've we've asked we've asked and sort of answered that question. Mm-hmm. Um there certainly are places for things to scurry uh, away and, and avoid being detected, but it just seems very unlikely that if something that large did exist, that it wouldn't have been discovered or, you know, there'd be proof um, by now. It, ple- a pleosaur? Is, isn't that one of the theories? That maybe pleosaur, that was, yeah. That was the most, That's yeah, the that was the most popular for a long time. Uh, the idea being that in the formation of what becomes the modern locks or lakes in Scotland, uh, and then also in Ireland, uh, the that there was some population that managed to get there and reproduce successfully while the land changed. The problem is, uh, from what folks know about this, there doesn't seem to be a likely there doesn't seem to be a likely way that those creatures at that time could have gotten into this place and survived. However, to answer your um, your earlier question from from a minute or so ago, like the the idea of searching for it, yeah, man, there are true believers out there, and yeah, there are people who are just having a fun time. That's a cool idea for a, for a hangout time with your friends. Uh, and also, there's the non-zero chance that we learn something interesting. I think that's so cool. I'm so Fox Mulder about it. No, I think you're you're on the right track. In the articles, like for Reuters that were written about this, they discuss how there are some students who chose to write their essay on this particular thing, right? So not only are they looking for Nessie on this day, they're discovering history, right? Yes. They're what what other kinds of learning cool, about the ecosystem, exactly. You know? mm-hmm. The things you discover by searching for a cryptid, I think, are um, they're plentiful and mm. probably priceless. Turns the out the real, cryptid was in us all. Yeah, all the along, real monster you know? was the friends we made along the way. That's it. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I think that 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 gets us wrapped for this one. Um, let's take a quick break. Hear a word from our sponsor, and uh, and come back with one more piece of strange news. 
Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer? Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. I bet you're smart. Yeah, and you like to hold your own in the group chat. We can help you drop even more knowledge. My name is Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Izadi. We host a daily news podcast called Post Reports. Every weekday afternoon, Post Reports takes you inside an important and interesting story with the kind of reporting that you can only get from The Washington Post. You can listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. Go find it now and hit follow. We have returned, uh, and this is a bit of an update on an earlier strange news segment. As you may recall, longtime fellow conspiracy realist, there has been for a number of years a somewhat sketchy company buying up a lot of land in California, land that is adjacent to a place called Travis Air Force Base. Travis Air Force Base is a big deal. And this land, which is uh, a bit northeast of the San Francisco Bay Area, is also the kind of land you would ignore normally. It is what is called fallow farmland, meaning that it is appropriate for growing stuff, but often people aren't growing things there. So in our previous conversation, previously on stuff they don't want you to know, we Sorry, Matt. I had a question about fallow, just because in my head, again, guys, all of my knowledge comes from MTG vocabulary. In my head, fallow would mean like you can't grow on it, but it's but it's also like it just it could be potentially just nobody's been using it for that. Is that I the think idea? That's right. That's fallow, my understanding as well. Fallow is like a recovery period for the soil. So if you, you know, depending on what you grow from the land, it may take certain nutrients. Right. And that would mean that you cannot reasonably grow the same sort of crop continually over time. So, with that idea, the concept is it's not as though, you know, a la Pet Cemetery, the soil is sour. It's more that, yeah, it's more, right. It's more that 
It's more that you're saying, we want to grow this thing and we can't always grow it. And there's a lot of old technology around this. Uh, in Native American culture, you got the three sisters, right? These three different crops, one can grow simultaneously in a way that allows the land to always grow. So anyway, that stuff aside, there's this fallow farmland. There's this shady outfit that was based in Delaware, is based in Delaware, called Flannery Associates. And they bought 55,000 acres of mainly farmland. Yeah, in Northern California. And we were asking, who is this? And I actually, I reached out to some other folks offline who didn't know. And some of their guesses were because of the Air Force Base. They were saying, possibly this is someone who is uh, former military, former USAF or something, and they know something the public doesn't. So they're leveraging insider info, which happens all the time. Or like, is it just the base or somebody representing the base, like trying to expand the crap out of it, you know? (laughs) Right. Without spooking out the hoi polloi and the folks (laughs) living around the area. What we learned is that this group is backed by Silicon Valley investors, like a guy who is like venture capitalist, the guy who founded LinkedIn, all these dudes. The point person for this is a guy named Jan Srabek. 36 years old, used to work for Goldman Sachs. And Uh-oh. yeah, yeah. So a few years back, this guy began looking for investors and saying some of the same things that we've said on this show about the challenges faced by San Francisco, right? It is geographically bound, you know, uh, it is wrestling with inequality, it's wrestling with instability. You can live pretty well if you make $150,000 a year in most parts of the United States. But San Francisco is just not one of those parts. It certainly is not. And so the idea here is that this coterie or this cabal of folks are going to start their new city. You know what I mean? Like Bender and Futurama. We'll do our own thing, you know, (laughs) with Blackjack and uh, other stuff. So. Flannery Associates wants to build a new, an entirely new city in this area. And they say, we're going to have orchards there. We're going to have solar energy farms. We're going to have tens upon thousands of new homes. And we're going to have parks. We're going to have open space. You can, now that the news has gone public, I think with the permission of the very wealthy people, who are planning this. You can read about it in a great piece by The Verge, a great piece by The Guardian, a great piece by San Francisco Gate or SF Gate, as it's called. They have, oh, and Wall Street Journal, if you read Wall Street Journal. Um, They got in trouble because they were coming up to these folks, these folks who own this farmland. And even if those folks weren't trying to sell, this Flattery Associates group would come in through a fixer and they would say, What's your price? And a lot of times people would say, what do you got? <laughs> and that's what happened. Well, yeah, some landowners were getting, I'm seeing a reported, Ben, that some people were getting like twice the amount of money their land was worth, three times the amount it was worth. Yes, 100% they were. And then there was also, uh, Flannery is getting sued 
with uh, out or getting hit with allegations that they were engaging in price fixing. There are counter lawsuits we hear um, where people are saying they were essentially they felt like they were being intimidated or forced into selling their stuff. And now we know that the concept here is to, for lack of a better phrase, and I'm just freestyling, they want to build a better San Francisco. And with that in mind, have to ask you guys, what do you think? Good idea, bad a idea. Better San Francisco, like that regular people can afford to <laughs> live in. Uh, yeah. Let's put a yeah, pin yeah, in I that doubt part. That too, yeah. <laughs> what do you think, Matt? One person's utopia is another person's dystopia, I would argue. I don't know. Seems sus. I'm just looking at the area from above. So just on Google Maps here, if you must know. Sure, um, sure. San Francisco, you know, right there like a peninsula, hanging out, chilling, doing its thing, all the water around it. Um, that's looking good. Now I'm coming up to Fairfield, a little bit mm, northeast. Warmer. Looking at this, uh, this land that at least from the sky on the satellite doesn't look that exciting. I don't know. It's not very green. It's not desert. It's really just kind of in between somewhere. And I don't know. I can't imagine that being the next, you know, technology hub. It's a fixer upper. You know what I mean? Okay. It's a fixer upper. Uh, here's, Here's where it gets incredibly interesting. Is the primary goal truly to build a utopian city on a hill, right? Like the Puritans of old? Or... Is this a way of securing access to resources that will be more important in the future? For instance, uh, water rights. Is there some tasty groundwater, fossil water under there, or the rights to distribute that water? Or is there maybe some amount of rare earth materials that will be suddenly affordable to extract once environmental regulations get further destabilized this is all speculation right and this is all this is all stuff that is in play but it's not proven it's like the idea that nessie is real you know what i mean it's cool to think about is is it this isn't some kind of scheme like the billionaire thing to have alt what is it altruism effective altruism or one of those <laughs> things like a bastion for that stuff right. let's or, handle yeah. philanthropy like a business yeah this isn't that. This is they're saying this is for just regular old human beings to come and live and prosper. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the idea is that you too can be part of the dream. Uh, and okay. the idea is that with their massive business expertise, this group, represented by Flannery Associates, will be able to, from the ground up, rethink everything about a city. So they'll say, look, we, we have lessons learned from San Francisco's approach to crime or San Francisco's approach to the unhoused so we can figure out a new way. And a lot of Silicon Valley luminaries are all about figuring out a new way, quote unquote. I'll, I'll never forget the time. <laughs> uh, I'll never forget the time it looked like some guys. Let me give you this pitch because it was hilarious. There were some guys um, who said, hey, we all know our neighborhood has some work to do. And what we're thinking is instead of 
you know, bowing before these municipalities that don't represent us. What if we started a thing where everybody in the community put in some amount of money and then we collectively use that to fix problems in our community? And these guys, I swear to God, did not know they had accidentally reinvented taxes. (laughs) Or also like communism, kind of, right? Yeah. Yeah, you remember when those guys invented that new drink that was supposed to give you all your nutrients and they named it after... Uh, Soylent. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Soylent Green is people! They didn't even make it people, it's though. People. It's just like a no. bunch of amino acids and almond milk. Well, but also Soylent on itself just makes me think of soiling oneself. That is what that brings to mind every time I hear Soylent. I don't understand what they're going for with that, but it seems to be very popular. It I is. Don't, I don't, I don't, I don't mm-hmm. get it. Mm-hmm. There's also Huel. Get it? Human fuel mm-hmm. or manto. My favorite is the thing they serve in prisons, neutral loaf. You always point that one out, Ben. It's just a good, it's good branding that you wouldn't think would be worth the time to brand something that's only served in prison. So anyhow, they, these folks spent hundreds of millions of dollars. We're talking like north of $800 million getting all this God land. Dang. And then it goes into the idea of your time horizon. Right. So one of the reasons that the wealthiest entities in terms of real estate are so wealthy is that if you are and I know this will sound old school conspiratorial and I've been getting a lot of pressure not to use the C word anymore. But this is true. The crown of the United Kingdom. Right. The Catholic Church, they're real estate giants because they can lose money for decades. Right. They can hold on to something at a loss for centuries. And most entities, individuals or institutions, are simply not capable of doing that. Flannery Associates probably is. So they can hold on to this land for a uh, fallow period, whether that's economical um, or agricultural. And then they can be there when it matters, right? Uh, So... I, I don't know, like I, I've looked into a little bit of the consideration for what is often called a utopian city. I don't know if I quite like the phrase, you guys, because the the word utopia inherently means something that cannot exist. It is too perfect to exist. But but if they can build a, a city that is equitable, if they can help people, Maybe it'll work. It just, it, it smells like a company town to me. It smells like some other attempts top down um, in past civilizations and they didn't work out well. And doesn't a utopia or, you know, in any form, again, to your point, it's more of like a thought experiment than a real thing. Doesn't it usually involve some amount of exclusion, you know, of types of people or perhaps certain races, certain people of economic strata. I don't know. For some reason, in my mind, utopia always has a sinister undertone to it because of the fact that it usually is kind of eugenic in some way. I don't know. Maybe that's just my sci-fi brain. No, I, I, I'm with you. It, it makes sense because, you know, it conjures fears of technocracy gone wrong. So technocracy is the idea that there is a cadre of very talented and successful technical people, engineers and so on, uh, who are able to use their scientific understanding to create a better civilization. The problem with that is it naturally leads into 
<laughs> it naturally leads into what we could call libertarianism gone wild. You know what I mean? I don't want, I don't know about you guys. I'm pretty sure we're on the same page. All of us listening tonight, I don't think we want a country where someone can be born into a tier of citizen. You know what I mean? Imagine going into the city, right? And you can unlock premium citizenship. You know what I mean? Or you're, you're born with <laughs> signature citizenship or citizenship plus this, this kind of stuff opens the door for it. I mean, right now they're running into, you know, the natural barriers, uh, not just the, the people who don't want to sell their property, but they're also running into questions about pre-existing municipalities. And this makes us think of the Reedy Creek Improvement District. You know what I mean? Because Disney, Disney did it right. Yeah. I don't know, guys. I, I think I'm drinking the soil in on this one. I think I want in. I want premium citizenship. Let's go. <laughs> you buy some I, shares? Like, yeah, let's do this. And I'm really interested in other things, other projects that are supposedly like this, like the line in Saudi Arabia. Yeah, like, yeah, I, yeah. I know that it's probably far-fetched that it actually works out in any way similar to how it's being projected, right? Mm -hmm. In the same way, if you get a deck for a new podcast... It's all shiny and it's like, this is what it's going to be. It's going to be incredible. And the thing in the end is like 85 to 90% of like how pristine that was. <laughs> or, That's, but I mean, I'm just, I'm being honest. Like sure, it, there's it's almost always that way. It's or there, like there is. pictures of Taco Bell food. Yes. You know? Yeah. <laughs> so it's never going to be the way it looks, but if we don't strive or let people with, you know, ambition and money strive to make improvements on things like what the heck are we going to do? Just be okay right. with the crap that mm. we got to, uh, I don't know. to quote a uh, Scottish poet going back to Loch Ness that I love Robert Burns, uh, man's reach must exceed his grasp or else what's a heaven for. There you go. But don't you think there's just kind of a general malaise or maybe not malaise distrust towards these technocrats? Yeah, that there should maybe be. gives pause <laughs> to things like Yeah, no, okay. Yeah, okay. Cool. Mm. Yeah. Just making sure we're on the same. So we have some questions here, and perhaps we will do an episode on this in the future. But for now, we are living in a time when history is being made. We know real estate is very sensitive in the U.S. and the world. We also know, I think we should do an episode on how, of all things, private insurance companies are trying to warn people about climate change in the worst possible way, but they're doing their best. Uh, I, I suggest we pause for now um, and we will absolutely We'll absolutely do an update if someone finds Nessie. We will, and we're absolutely going to learn more about worms in the brain. Matt, we didn't even talk about whether uh, some sort of alteration of ambient temperature may have, something may have allowed that nematode egg to enter into a human body in a way that it hadn't before, because pythons are native to Australia, I believe, right? So people have run around and met those eggs before. I don't know. Maybe it's a lottery. Anyway, so we're going to call it an evening. We're out to Noctivigate and uh, to call our friends at Flannery Associates, see how their $150 million 
lawsuit against against those farmers are going. Uh, and in the meantime, if you want to contact us, if you want to join up with the show, we cannot wait to hear from you. We try to be easy to find online. That's right. You can find us at the handle Conspiracy Stuff on Facebook, YouTube, and the social media network formerly known as Twitter, Conspiracy Stuff Show on Instagram and TikTok. Hey, do you like to use your voice to call people the way friend of the show Sarah Kotnoff called in the middle of our discussion just a minute ago? Sorry about that, guys. I muted and let her know we were recording. Uh, you can call us 1-833-STDWYTK. You got three minutes. Give yourself a cool nickname and leave a voicemail. Say whatever you want. Just let us know if we can use your name and message on one of our listener mail episodes. Hey, if you don't want to do that, but you want to send us links, a story, more stuff, longer than three minutes, why not instead send us a good old-fashioned email? We are conspiracy at iHeartRadio.com. Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. Attention, true crime enthusiasts. Searching for a way to unwind after diving deep into the mysteries that keep you up at night? Look no further. Introducing Lazarus Naturals, your trusted companion for CBD relief. With a commitment to transparency, Lazarus Naturals oversees every step from farm to doorstep, ensuring purity and quality you can trust. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today and discover how CBD can help you decompress and recharge for your next investigation. That's LazarusNaturals.com. Lazarus Naturals, your partner in unraveling the mysteries of true crime. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Dealing with pests can be a pain, but relax. Terminix can help. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. With over 95 years of experience, they have what it takes to take on any pest problem fast. If your home or business has pests, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com.